Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. It's good to be here, Dan. All right, Chris, uh, we are off to a hot start here in 2023 um, and thought I'd open up today. We're talking a bit about the, the near-term rally that we've seen with yeah. the market and then intertwined with this soft landing narrative. Yeah. Uh, you know, do you believe that we're, we're set up for a soft landing? And, and actually, does it, does it even matter? Yeah. Look, I, whether it's a hard landing or, or soft landing, I really don't think matters. I, I, you know, in, Inevitably, when the market's moving higher or lower, we, we always have to wrap a story around it. So now we're magically threading the needle as uh, inflation comes down rapidly, but yet, you know, economic activity seems to be holding up. And the truth is, we're slowing down. The next two quarters are locked and loaded. We're going to be, see a massive deceleration in economic activity and a very significant decline in earnings and earnings power. And the real question is going to be, you know, what does the second half look like? Is there a bounce? Is there not a bounce? But whether the economy shrinks at minus 3% quarter on quarter, 2%, 1%, whether we bring down earnings estimates for 2023 down 5%, 10 or 20%, it really doesn't matter from here. Um, all of that, I think, is negative for the bear, for the market. And I, I do think we're, we're still in a bear market. I think the, the strong rally we've seen to date is driven by seasonal flows in the options market. And that's pretty apparent. You can see it with what's leading the market. Um, it can certainly feed on itself, especially with these narratives and for short covering and all of those elements. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be sustainable as we move further into the first quarter. But more importantly, I, I really think investors need to start recognizing we are just in a completely different environment from any point in time in the last decade, but certainly any time even in the last three years post-COVID. Um, and we're just used to this environment where you have a shock, you get a monetary response out of the Fed, and you get a recovery. And that's not what we're heading into when we talk about a recession. It's not going to be a, a recession that's a shock and awe, and then we get monetary stimulus and everything's okay again. Um, I think we're going to go through, as we've said, a series of resets over a number of years. So, you know, I, I guess hearing you, this, you know, this reminds me a bit of the repositioning that took place in the, in the back half of 2021, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we knew a significant market shift was about to take place. In some of our prior podcasts, you know, we've, we've discussed or previously referenced a series of, of resets for 2023 and beyond. Um, I think we could let's run through a few of these concepts that, or this concept of reset as it relates to a number of areas. Yeah. Uh, let's start with with money supply growth. What are you seeing here? Yeah, so it's really interesting. You know, when you accelerate liquidity, it's like Novocaine. It just numbs everything. It dampens volatility. Volatility. It reduces the cost of capital, um, and you get the illusion of, of strength and wealth creation. And when you really look at the monetary data, what we did coming out of COVID was just unprecedented. I mean, the, the, the increase in the money supply over a two-year period dwarfed anything we did over any prior two-year period, you know, going back several decades, going back into the, the 60s. And so we shouldn't be surprised that we created non-transitory inflation because we overwhelmed the system with money. Um, we still have excess money in the system, which really limits the Fed's ability to pivot. 
And it also means that we really can't just turn on the spigots without reaccelerating inflation. So it's not just, you know, can the Fed, is the Fed going to pivot? It's, it's going to be how higher rates, how long do we have to be here? And then are we going to be able to destroy enough of the liquidity to prevent inflation from reaccelerating as an economic activity ultimately begins to recover again, quite frankly, ultimately when the Fed has to go back and try to support the Treasury market. Um, you know, for the first time really in, in the last probably 60 years, we're actually seeing M2 decline, Beca began declining month on month. Now it's declining year on year. And this is unprecedented, and, and investors just need to know when liquidity declines, when the money supply is declining, mathematically, economic activity and, and or asset prices must slow or fall. So economic activity has to slow because we start cutting off uh, credit availability and liquidity availability, and the cost of capital goes higher. And that also means asset prices have to fall. Um, and I just think we're still fairly early in resetting the cost of capital and seeing what the implications are. We're seeing it in the data real time. We're seeing it in subprime data uh, real time. We're seeing it um, as it relates to capital flows. The Bank of Japan is struggling to maintain its yield curve peg at 50 basis points. And so their situation is unsustainable as well. Um, and, you know, we'll see. There's still, I think, other shoes to fall in the more illiquid parts of the market. Oh, there's still some repricing to do in commercial real estate. Um, liquidity is still probably contracting in some of these closed-end strategies. And, you know, we're going to see the gates going up. Um, so I, I just I think we're still really early in that. And so, yes, we can get a little bit of a respite when rates come become lower, but I think we're going to find that this credit cycle is going to play itself out. We're seeing um, evidence of this with the uh, uh, banking lender survey showing that CNI loans are going to start to become more restrictive, which means high yield spreads are going to rise. So and we're still just so early in this. So yes, we still see a reset in money supply, liquidity availability, and with that, the cost of capital. And ultimately, what that means, not only to valuations, but to recoveries in these areas that are going to be starved for, for capital as well. Um, and we're, we're not, you know, we don't even know if the Fed will be able to follow through. Certainly, we could end up in a situation in the near term that would force their hand to restart QE, reaccelerate liquidity expansion, which then creates a different set of winners and losers via a reacceleration in inflation. So yes, very much we still have that reset in front of us. Right. And the other reset that's that's worth discussing at length here is is government spending. So where <laughs> where are we heading with this? Yeah. Um, who knows? They're gonna they're gonna fight tooth and nail uh, not to have to uh, cut government spending, but and and it's you know if investors may be pro uh, expansion of federal spending, um, they may be anti expansion of federal spending, but you need to know what the real ramifications are and where we are. 
the U.S. economy for the last six years has not been able to generate positive GDP growth without federal deficits expanding. Okay, so that essentially means we've gotten to the point we've misallocated capital to such an extent and the headwinds to productivity growth are sufficient that if we do cut federal spending, it'll tip us into a recession. Um, It's also worth noting that we were probably going to have a real balance of payments issue in 2019, and, and COVID, quite frankly, covered that up. And when you look at what's happened to federal spending from 2019 to 2020, 21, and 22, we have seen it increase 47%. So in 2019, we were on an unsustainable path that was going to crowd out the private sector and force the Fed to start funding deficits on a permanent basis, which would not have been good for the dollar. And we saw this in the fourth quarter of 2019 when we blew up um, the repo market and we got a standing repo facility out of the Fed. It's only gotten worse. And so as a part of trying to minimize the impact that would be necessary to fund the deficits, meaning we've got to get interest rates down. And so I don't think this issue is separate from what the Fed's policy is. And the Fed's policy right now is to break stuff. It needs to break things. It needs to get inflation well below 2%, or at least a trajectory well below 2%. It needs to get short rates to 2% or below, and it needs to do it very quickly. So about half of our federal debt outstanding will reprice over the next, over well, has already started repricing, but will finish repricing over the next, call it 12, 18 months. Um, and right now they're borrowing at 1.7%. And if we roll that into 4%, we're going to see interest as a percent of federal spending reach levels that are unsustainable. And we'll need QE just to pay the interest on the debt, which, as we all know, um, will have negative ramifications for the dollar and elsewhere. So I would keep a, I would really keep an eye on this debt ceiling negotiation. This is not the same as the ones we've had in the past. Um, this is going to be front and center, um, and it's going to have ramifications. And, and to give you an idea of the challenges that investors face as it relates to federal spending, if all we did from here is not change policy, and what I mean by that is no new fiscal policy, no change in monetary policy, Between now and the end of 2025, you would probably see U.S. GDP contract about 5%, um, at least 5%. And that's just the federal programs and the federal stimulus rolling off. So think about that as student loan forgiveness. Think about that as some of the support for corporate CapEx and payables. All of that stimulus, if it rolls off, would result in, in a GDP contraction of about 5% at a minimum. And some of that includes the negative wealth effect, which again happened late in 22, and it'll play itself out. So um, again, another very significant reset in front of us. Um, I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that policymakers are going to allow GDP to contract 5%, but I also don't think they can fund it with a benign outcome if they want to maintain federal spending at current levels. So again, it's going to create a different set of winners and losers. Um, we're going into midterm elections in 24. 
Um, you know, we'll see how the policies play out. But, um, you know, you've got to get to a fairly weak point if you want to get bipartisan support for any further federal stimulus uh, from here. And without it, I think it's going to be a very, very muted recovery. Great. Well, um, and beyond that, <laughs> we need to start thinking about some energy policy. So, you know, as we're thinking through these resets, uh, you know, where, where do you see energy policy, energy policy yeah. shifting? Yeah, so it, it's really important to understand where we are. We've, we've had energy bears and energy bulls, and we're never going to need fossil fuel again. And now, you know, it's, we're going to need more fossil fuel than ever. Um, and the reality is we have had such poor policy and politics in and around energy security, not just in the U.S., but in Europe and elsewhere, and if this was coinciding with a peak in the commodity cycle and a downturn in the need for CapEx and a downturn in the need for production expansion across fossil fuels, you know, it would give us a pretty good window of opportunity to make some poor choices and not have dire outcomes. Unfortunately, it, we're at the polar opposite. We have been underinvesting in energy infrastructure uh, whether it's renewables, so if you want to ramp wind and solar, we need to probably double the amount of investment in our transmission grid, which, quite frankly, we don't have the money to do. We needed to spend on the transmission grid anyway just for uh, energy security purposes. At the same time, we've massively underinvested in fossil fuel production. And we've been able to get, get away with that because we were on the downhill side of a commodity cycle. Um, when you look at policy decisions, not just in North America, but rest of the world, windfall profit tax on the energy sector only means we're going to have an uh, even greater level of scarcity. Uh, we're doing everything in our power to ensure that we don't invest enough to make a transition to renewables where it does make sense. But more importantly, this has long-term ramifications. So I think we have a little bit of a respite here. Uh, the lockdowns in China have given us a bit of a respite. The Russia-Ukraine war and the force conservation within Europe has given us a bit of a respite. Um, you know, we'll see how long that lasts. Will it last through 2023? Uh, or end of 2024, um, I'm not sure, but I think we are definitely on the cusp of another spending super cycle uh, to get the, the energy we need, um, and we're not ready for that. And so that's going to cause a big shift in policy, different sets of winners and losers. It's going to promote more inflation, more scarcity. By no means does that mean investors run out and just buy energy stocks because politics is going to take over and politics isn't good for economics. So maybe these energy companies, fossil fuel producers make a lot of money, but it gets taxed away. So again, not necessarily a healthy environment, but a very significant driver, I think, really for the next five plus years. And it's going to have a huge impact on, on where you can make money and what happens in currencies and geopolitics and elsewhere. And so with everything you've said today, you know, looking out at whether it's, it's liquidity of the money supply, whether it's you know, government spending, talking about energy policy, energy policy uh, changes out there. If the next several years, you know, if those differ meaningfully from the past 10, yeah. how should investors think about changing their asset allocation? Yeah, you know, it's, um, you're going you're gonna to need to be tactical. And 
you're going to need to be patient and waiting for opportunities to develop to, to shift your portfolio around. Don't think of it as a glide path of we're going to go back to the prior year of, of low cost of capital or zero cost of capital and everybody's a winner. Um, and at the same time, we're not going to go back to the prior commodity cycle because policies are very different. But in general, what you should think about is um, more value-oriented, which typically means cyclical areas, are going to do better because that's going to be where the choke points are. So that's where the pricing power is going to be. And to the extent shifts in tax policy and, and federal uh, policies don't um, pressure those margins, then that's where the wealth is going to start to be created. Um, but it's going to be fits and starts. So I think of it as rolling resets, rolling opportunities in different sectors in different regions. It's going to be rolling uh, volatility across the currency markets. So it's not a, the dollar wins and the euro loses or the yen wins and um, the yuan loses. It's going to be a rolling series of resets. I, I very much believe we're in a multi-year bear market and a multi-year reset. And I, I think you're going to, investors are going to hear pundits talking about, oh, this is like the 70s. Or we may get into a period of time where we go, no, this is going to be like the, the 30s. And I think it's very different. When we left the 1920s and experienced the Great Depression, investors lost 75% of their purchasing power. And they lost it through price declines in assets. But it was a real purchasing loss of 75%. In the 70s, through the early 80s, the markets were flat, but on a purchasing power basis, on a real basis, investors lost 75% of their purchasing power. But that wealth was taken via inflation. We're going to have a similar reset over the remaining parts of this decade, maybe early into the next decade. And so investors need to think about how do I maintain purchasing power not necessarily just making money. And I don't think it's going to be a pure version of the 30s or a pure version of the 70s and 80s. Certain industries are going to reset, and they're going to do so with inflationary conditions, and other areas are going to reset via deflationary conditions. And so what that means for investors who've gotten comfortable with passive strategies or broad diversification across um, asset classes you know, you're going to end up with very median returns and you need to know, know what those are, which is probably negative on a real basis and pretty disappointing on a nominal basis. So um, it does mean, I think, active management with managers that, that aren't traders but can invest and take advantage of the volatility will do well. Um, but you're going to need to be tactical for sure. Be patient, be tactical. Cash will be your friend. Um, so you can get away with holding a little more cash because you're going to have some optionality with it. Well, good. I think that's a great place to, to wrap up today. Um, so we are off for the next few weeks here, probably about three weeks, uh, just between some travel and, and scheduling. So um, we'll have you back here uh, as soon as we can, Chris. So thank you very much. Yeah, sounds good, Dan. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts 
presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws. Securities discussed within this podcast may be held in the Von Nelson Strategies.